Well, greetings and welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mullett. You can visit our website at logicalbelief.org. You can watch these podcasts on YouTube. You can search for and subscribe to the channel there. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes. Just search for Logical Belief. Both the audio and video can be found at our website. Right there on the far right of the top menu, just click on podcast. You can see all the previous episodes. You can watch both the video or the audio. Um, <coughs> If you uh, want to send me a word of encouragement or you have a question or just a comment, uh, you can drop me a line at jason at logicalbelief.org. Uh, just be aware, however, by sending me an email, you are permitting me to read it on the air. All righty. Well, today um, we are finally going to be getting to the episode that I have been talking about for the last three, four weeks. And uh, we are going to be discussing... Um, a, a historical, mostly historical, but um, uh, historical aspects of Anabaptism. And the reason, as I gave before, uh, that I have a heart and a desire to uh, address some of the errors that exist within that Anabaptist movement is because of my own history uh, and my own background in that movement. So, what I have uh, asked is a very good friend of mine and brother in Christ that, um, uh, that I've known for, um, was it about three years, Kevin, that we've uh, known each other? Yeah, it's been about three years, three and a half years probably. Three, three and a half years. So uh, both of us have a, um, have a history uh, in the uh, uh, Anabaptist uh Groups. Uh, I come from a more conservative Mennonite background. Uh, Kevin comes from uh, a an Amish background. I don't know. You were never conservative Mennonite, were, were you at all? Let me actually switch uh, the screen here so you guys can kind of see Kevin here. So I'll let Kevin just. Uh, did you have a um, uh, any sort of a Mennonite background ever, or? Uh, no, my parents. Uh, I was born and raised Amish. Just about three. Three, four years ago, they switched the, to a conservative Mennonite now. But, Would um, they they actually attend what's known as a beachy Amish uh, church right now? Is that correct? Yeah, it would be, yeah, kind of like the beachy Amish church. It's a very conservative Mennonite church. Okay. Um, and so both of us have, you know, have a history in the Anabaptist movement, so both of us have a heart for... Um, addressing the issues because we still have even family members that are still within these particular groups and um, while I you know as I've mentioned before I do believe there are Christians within the even the Amish and the uh, conservative Mennonite groups there are many errors that are very concerning especially those errors uh, that have to do with specifically the gospel itself and I think that that is um, some of the issues that uh, that Kevin himself has with that, so that's that's something kind of that we wanted to address. We wanted to talk a little bit today about <clears throat> just some of the historical issues. Uh, we want to go back kind of into the time of the Protestant Reformation and and look at uh, what what happened during that time and what distinguished the Anabaptists from the overall Protestant. Uh, um, uh, movement, but before we wanted to get into there, I, I wanted to uh, just kind of briefly go over um, and let Kevin just kind of uh, tell us just a little bit about himself. Um, 
about uh, coming to the Lord. So, so Kevin, when did you uh, become a Christian? Well, it was about uh, it was September the twenty fifth, and that would have been three years ago. So. About three years ago, yeah. I met uh, Kevin. Uh, I think it was. And correct me if I'm wrong. It was about a month after you became a Christian, right? Yeah, it was uh, right at right at Halloween. Yes, it was year, on. So. Um, at the time, my wife and I were uh, attending a Calvary Chapel here in Sarasota, and they had a fall uh, party or something like that, where they invited people from the community to come to there. And the first time I met Kevin, I actually took him through the Way of the Master. For those of you that listen to this podcast, many of you guys are familiar with that. But I took him through the way of the master. And um, Kevin was a very good person. Yes, he was. Uh, <laughs> we, we have, he was some... really hard on me. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we just we had a we had an interesting time. We um, I was able to take him through the way of the master that at that point. But then uh, it was several weeks later. I, I saw him at church. Uh and I was like, hey, that was the guy I talked to when, uh, <laughs> out there at the fall festival. So I went up and talked to him, and we've just kind of been kind of friends ever since. I think it just kind of. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had been a Christian for about a month, and, I mean, really deep in the Word. And, I mean, things were completely different than they had been before. And, yeah. But I wasn't, I wasn't really wasn't really looking at that aspect. I mean, in, in my mind, I guess, I guess, you know, it was part of yeah. well, bringing out, you know, I was, I was doing the right thing. So yeah, I mean, a month ago, I wouldn't have been good, but yeah. right at that time I was really, <laughs> I really thought I was doing the right things. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's one thing that all of us as Christians, we've all grown in our understanding of the gospel. Uh, we all have. Yes. Um, you know, I remember the first time that, you know, I even saw the way of the master. I was already a Christian, but, um, you know, before that I would have probably said, yeah, I would have probably answered that I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. So, um, you know, God, uh, opens our hearts and opens our minds to these truths. And, um, he's so gracious that he still saves. And, um, and so it's really that gospel issue that I think we want to even get to today. So, uh, but back to just a little bit of history. So, you know, we started, uh, I think we started going to uh, uh, breakfast uh, at 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings, uh, just to kind of a group of us. There was another uh, guy that was part of us at first, and uh, then Kevin and I actually went on for, did we go for at least about a year or so, kind of by ourselves? Just every Wednesday we would meet for breakfast. Uh, yeah, it was right out of year, I'd say. It was just the two of us. So. Yeah. So both of us, if if you uh, if you wonder where that wacky theology comes from, logical belief ministries, uh, that's that's coming from Bob Evans. That was a little bit of undercooked potato or something like that. So, uh, um, but uh, Kevin and I, yeah, we've uh, we've both iron sharpens iron, and uh, yeah. <laughs> we've well, both. There, there was there was another Kevin that joined us for a while who uh, texted me after he quit coming and warned me about jason and that he was leading me astray so yeah 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 well we'll have to see maybe uh maybe there was some there was some legitimacy to that at some point so uh we'll, we'll have to see but uh uh yeah we've both uh you know we've we've grown in the lord together we've now been uh known each other for like around three three and a half years and um 
been uh, the group has grown a little bit. We've got another member that's uh, kind of become part of the uh, the the Bob Evans theology course, and uh, uh, and he, uh, John Houlihan. He's uh, really appreciate him um, as another fellow uh, believer, and uh, so he meets with us every uh, um, Wednesday morning. I guess I didn't ask him permission to say his name, but uh, there we go. Uh, we can always edit that out if we need to. Um, so, uh, and, uh, then we also have a few other people that show up every now and then, and sometimes we have a group of four or five. So, so it's been, uh, it's, it's been very interesting, but, um, uh, Kevin and I, as we, uh, grew in the Lord, um, <clears throat> we came, uh, we kind of, we, uh, there, there, I, I will have to say we have some, we have some interesting stories. Uh, there, there was the, the. As as everybody knows, um, obviously for anybody listening to this podcast knows that uh, you know I am I'm definitely uh, a Calvinist, and so when I first came to the uh, understanding the doctrines of grace, um, my brother Kevin over here was uh, was pretty sure he needed to rescue me from uh, this uh, this heresy I was getting myself caught up into. And so he made, he made quite a few valiant efforts to, to pull me back from the edge uh, before I, before I started uh, uh, getting on the bandwagon of, you know, killing Cervatuses. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was an all out attempt to uh, rescue him for the, from the, the cult of Calvinism. Yeah. Well, and then we kind of, you know, both got caught up into it. So, uh, by God's grace, uh, we, uh, have have both uh grown in our understanding of God's sovereignty and salvation uh, absolutely and uh <clears throat> so we're grateful and thankful for that and and in the process of growing in that uh we began to uh recognize more of the errors that uh, were within our background uh were within the um the background that we came from and um uh, and we find these particular issues to be serious enough that uh, it's something that we need to discuss and we need to address. And I don't really see much out there on the Internet and, and on YouTube actually addressing um, the conservative Mennonite groups and the Amish and the Hutterite type groups out there. There's, you know, a lot of the reformers really talked about the Anabaptists a lot during the time of the Reformation. And and after that, but in more uh, recent years, you don't really find much of uh, many theologians and many um, good biblical evangelical pastors actually addressing some of the issues that are within Anabaptism. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, what you said is true, but I mean, what we do find even on the Internet is, I mean, most of it's revisionist. I mean, it, yeah. people have you know, picked parts and pieces of the movement and, and uh, made it align with their own theology and, you know. Yeah, there's there's a tremendous amount of, re I've noticed that, there's a tremendous amount of revisionism when it comes to um, <clears throat> often the, and I think we're going to deal with some of those, but, you know, often uh, the Anabaptists are portrayed as these, uh, you know, these just these uh, New Testament Christians who, were just really vilified and persecuted and put to death by Protestants and Catholics. And um, a lot of that is historical revision because when you actually look back um, at the early Anabaptists, 
In fact, while many of the, the ones who carry the name Anabaptist today, the Hutterites, the Mennonites, and the Amish, while they're pacifistic and non-resistant, uh, many of the early Anabaptists were not, and uh, I'll let you kind of jump in there, but many of the early ba- Anabaptists were not actually uh, non-resistant or pacifistic at all. Well, yeah, I mean, there was there was three different streams, really, that you've you seen. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, the the Mennonites, Mennel Simons, where they got got their name from, he would have, he was, you know, the non-resistant, but, you know, you had the, the Jorist and the, the Moonsters and them. And yeah, yeah, the Moonsters were, especially, they were yeah. very, they were a very actually violent group. The reason they were all kind of lumped together was a common belief that they had, um, especially uh, things around uh, believers' baptism uh, was one thing that all those groups—the Munsterites, the uh, um, the Mennonites, uh, the what well, they were actually previous to known, be known as the Mennonites—I think they were actually known as the Obionites or something like that, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, they it would have started out as the Obionites, and uh, that would have been Obi Phillips. Yeah. So then he uh, later recanted the faith. Yeah, and he, I, I believe he became a Protestant. He he actually, well, we don't really have, uh, have yeah. we, no, specifically, there's not a lot there to, to glean from, but he did at least leave the movement, became disenfranchised by it. And, um, and wrote a lot, I mean, wrote a uh, a treatise or whatever against the, the movement then. So. Yeah, yeah, and I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Menno Simons referred to him as Demas, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Menno Simons was not a fan of Obi Phillips, uh, that's for sure. So, you know, those that were Anabaptists, uh, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is a lot of the um, heresies, just outright anti-biblical heresies that existed among a lot of early Anabaptists. Um, things like even a denial of the Trinity was not uncommon among the Anabaptists. Yeah, I mean, you had uh, Servetus definitely denied the Trinity, and, yeah. and Melker Hoffman all the way through Menel Simons, all the way down with the celestial flesh, and and you get the Moonster, you have the polygamy, and yeah, and. Yeah, Munster actually was even a polygamist, uh, and he was an Anabaptist. Um, yeah, you have a lot of anti-Trinitarian Anabaptists. You have, uh, Kevin already mentioned, Michael Servetus, which he was actually um, burned at the stake in uh, Geneva, uh, which is always an interesting topic uh, that we can always get to at another point in time. But uh, you also have Juan Valdez. You have Sebastian Costello. You have uh, Faustus Sokinus. Uh, these were all anti-Trinitarian Anabaptists. And there was, uh, especially among the Anabaptists in Poland, Italy, and the Netherlands, there was, there was quite a few of them that did deny the triune nature of God, and they were they were more modalistic in their view of of the uh, of the nature of God. Yeah, and then the other thing, I mean, the like Hoffman and all of those, the big thing with the with their belief was the the inner word over the outer word. Yeah. That was a big thing that was actually common among all the Anabaptists, even. Menno Simons uh, pulled back a little bit from that, but it was a very common thing among the uh, early Anabaptists was that they, they, uh, they really— this is why Martin Luther even made the comment about the Anabaptists has swallowed the Holy Spirit uh, feathers and all, 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, Luther made that comment because uh, simply because a lot of the Anabaptists were very similar to modern day charismatics, Pentecostals, uh, that they really relied on this supposed revelation. And in fact, a lot of them even made prophecies early on uh, that p- didn't come true. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I want to say Moonster, you know, gets the bad rap, you know, for for all the violence that took place in that. But that, uh, I mean, if you actually look back, it was uh, Hoffman who really started it all with, you know, him and he became he became known as a prophet and yes. he started yeah. got went and got himself put in threw in jail. I forget right now exactly which city that was, but. Then Munster's the one that took it on from there. He, because uh, Hoffman was, uh, he had prophesied about the immediate or imminent return of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And Munster was the one following in his footsteps, and he decided that they were going to have to overthrow it. You know, cr- and then Christ would come after they rid the world of the ungodly. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And yeah, there, there's just there's the you know the one thing that I've discovered in even trying to to get through the Anabaptist early Anabaptist history, it is it is such a mishmash. It's hard to even uh, put a finger uh, on really what even the early beliefs were. They were so um, it was so scattered. Uh, really, one of the common things between most of the Anabaptists. And, and here's the thing. I mean, I will give the one thing is that a lot of people were lumped into the group of Anabaptists simply because of a common belief in believers' baptism versus paedo-baptism. Well, that's one of the things we find in, in Obi's confession that he wrote. Obi Phillips is, uh, he made this statement. I mean, for, for every one of the leaders, there was a, a different, you know, set of beliefs. I mean, they all varied. There was, there's very little unity in the group as a whole. I mean, they all. Yeah. Um, one thing here you guys notice, uh, if we're not looking at the camera, that's because we're actually looking at each other. So if we see us staring off into space, kind of off to the right, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, for me, it's off to my right, as and Kevin to his left. So <laughs> in our highly sophisticated uh, <coughs> studio here in my uh, spare bedroom, um uh, that that's that's just how it works there. So yeah, somehow I ended up with a chair instead of being able to lay on bed on the bed for this. So <laughs> yeah, we tried that. That didn't work out very well. Camera angles didn't didn't. Uh, didn't. I kept falling asleep. Yeah. So uh, um, so one thing I wanted to uh, Kevin recently we were talking about the Anabaptists and and I made uh, a comment which is a very common uh, one and Kevin set me straight. Um, I, I made a comment about, um, you know, uh, you know, one of the things as, as a reformed Baptist myself, you know, I, I believe in believers baptism. So I believe that, um, that those who make a confession of faith, um, are to be baptized. But, um, so I, I recently was talking to Kevin and, and I, uh, made the comment that, you know, we do have things that we need to be grateful and thankful for from, um, the Anabaptists. Uh, and things like believers' baptism and separation of church and state it was one that I mentioned, and uh, and Kevin actually proceeded to kind of set me straight on that, and I was it, he had a really good thought, so I kind of wanted to um, just ask you, Kevin, what 
what is the distinguishing difference between separation of church and states that we as Protestants, you know, believe today? Because most Protestants today, um, even your more Presbyterians uh, and uh, would would hold to um, a form of separation of church and state. But the question would be is, is that view of separation of church and state uh, the same as the Anabaptist view of separation of church and state? And in fact, is the current Protestant view of separation of church and state more similar to the magisterial reformers like Calvin and Luther's view of the relationship between the church and the state uh, so kind of just uh, fill us in on that, Kevin. Well, it, as I was going through it, it just yeah, it kind of dawned on me that uh, Calvin was closer to the separation of church and, church and state that we enjoy now than what the Anabaptists were. I mean, they uh, the Anabaptists, they, I mean, it was total separation of church and state to the point where they demonized the state. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, I mean, if if you look at at Calvin, I mean, there was a separation of church and state there. I mean, the, it was still a state church, but the state didn't 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 have authority over Calvin. Calvin had had the authority to preach the word to to, and even in fact to prevent them from taking communion. Yeah, which which really put him in opposition sometime <laughs> with the uh, with the city council. Uh, yeah. In fact, they kicked him out one time. Yeah, so. I'll say we got to remember it was what two or three years in he was he was kicked out of Geneva, and it was yeah. very late in his life when he actually became a citizen of Geneva. So uh, yeah, absolutely, being a Frenchman uh, yeah. in in a uh, in Switzerland, um, he was not even a native to the area. Mm. Um, and it's it's commonly just a misconception that Calvin was like this little dictator that ran around Geneva, you know, just, you know, exerting his influence, political and spiritual, on everyone. And that's that's just that's ahistorical. That's just yeah. not actually having a view of what really happened uh, during that time. Well, it brings up a, a really good question. I mean, the the city council was, you know, they were they were in in charge of civil law yeah and and, i mean today i mean we don't really see i mean we don't really see that this the the civil authorities are not upholding god's law at all any of god's law yeah i mean we i mean let's not even just go with the ten commandments yeah Uh, you know the the second table of the ten commandments i mean let's just go with just any of god's law it's just it's just gone but i mean we, I mean, we have to look back. I mean, Cal, I mean, in Calvin's day, the civil authorities did uphold God's law to some yeah. extent. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the question we would need to ask ourselves. I mean, if if we put Calvin in, or put ourselves in Calvin's shoes, I mean, could could we stand up and you know against Servetus? I mean, yeah. Calvin Calvin w- went to talk to Servetus. He tried desperately to get yeah, him to recant. Many, many yeah, times. yeah. Um, and, uh, so, kind of uh, flesh out a little bit more of what you see as the differences. You did mention there um, that that the Anabaptist view of of church and state was more a demonization of the state uh, versus the kind of the Protestant view. Well, yes. I mean, 
the Anabaptists took it way beyond separation of church and state. I mean, you have, I mean, the non-resistance, the, you know, the refusing to, to swear an oath and all those things. I mean, they, they completely demonized the government, the, the state. And I mean, if, I mean, if you look in the, t in the New Testament, I mean, we, we are commanded to, you know, obey, obey our authorities mm -hmm. and uh, to pay taxes and all that. And I mean, it came down to, I mean, they re were refusing to pay taxes be if it was for a war tax and, yeah. yeah. And, and it was, I mean, it was, I don't I'm trying to think how I'm going to explain it, but it's not that once you take it to that point, that's no longer separation of church and state. The separation of church and state is is where the state doesn't command, does, doesn't doesn't dictate what the doctrine that is taught in the church is. I mean, that is the separation of church and state. The the state has the sword sword to to maintain, you know. Uh, absolutely, and and life. that and that was the view of even the founding fathers of this country, and that's really the Protestant view of separation of church and state, is that the church. Or, or I'm sorry, the government and the state should not exert authority over the church. But that doesn't mean that the church, members of the church, cannot be a part of civil government. Well, and it doesn't mean that the church doesn't influence the the government in in the laws, civil laws. Uh, absolutely. And in fact, uh, the civil government is obligated to God yes. to to execute and to uh to in to implement laws and justice that is congruent and consistent with God and his word that they they live in God's world just like the church does they are under Christ right now is reigning and ruling over um everything not just the church and they need to submit to his authority uh in the same way that um that the church does, and so they they need to answer to God. Yes, I as R. C. Sproul, I heard one of the last days I was watching uh, one of his sermons online, and and he was talking about you know today you know the government has ha, it's not separation of church and state, it's separation of the state from God. Yes, and uh, so yeah, yeah, absolutely, that is but, the distinguishing. I mean. If we look back at our at our history, I mean, we we say today, you know, we enjoy you know the separation of the church and state that the Anabaptists, you know, fought and, and died, died for. Yeah. Well, that's I mean that's completely false. I mean, Calvin influenced the separation of church and state that we enjoyed millions of times more than the Anabaptists oh, did. Oh, absolutely. So no, 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 no absolutely. But, um, I want to get to this particular the kind of where I want to take this conversation next is I, I really want to go to um, the question is, were the Anabaptists and sometimes also known as the radical reformers, were they actually a part? Were they just a a part of the Protestant Reformation or were they a completely separate um uh, outworking completely separate from the Protestant Reformation, which in fact 
from a soteriological, from a gospel position, actually swung back to the Church of Rome more than it actually did toward the gospel of grace and by justification by faith as actually propounded by the uh, Protestant reformers. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think, as you said earlier, you know, our our big concern about, you know, our family and, you know, those that are in, you know, the Amish and the, the conservative Mennonites and and those is, is the gospel is not there. I mean, that that was the difference. They 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 were not part of the Protestant Reformation in the sense of Luther and Calvin. You know they they were they were fighting to bring the gospel back to, you know back to the church to bring the gospel. And uh, the Anabaptists, I mean, it was radical. I mean, it was it was purely practice. And, yeah. And as, yeah, as we can see, yeah. as as we can see from history, I mean it. It just exploded. I mean, practice, practice. You can it it becomes legalism to have to purify the church by practice without changing doctrine. Doctrine, yeah. It, doctrine is what changes practice. It's, practice. You it's, got the cart before the horse. Yes, if you're going, so. if you're changing practice and you're not dealing with the fundamental issue of the gospel itself, and I found it very interesting. Uh, actually, several months ago, uh, I was perusing around the interwebs, and I uh, happened upon an article, a blog post, actually by a conservative um, Anabaptist. And so I showed this to Kevin uh, today. I don't think I've ever shown him this before. Did I ever show you this article before? No, this yeah. is the first time I've seen this one. <laughs> Um, I'd actually seen this several months ago, and so I actually wanted to bring it up uh, in today's podcast because I think that this conservative Anabaptist actually got this right on, and he doesn't obviously see the issues with this. So um, there's an article out there on uh, a blog entitled The Mennonite Minute, uh, and this the person who runs this is, I'm not sure what flavor of conservative Mennonite he is, um, but uh, he is he is a, um, a conservative Mennonite, not not one of the liberal, uh, linguini postmodern squishy ones that run around today. But uh, uh, he is actually a conservative um, Mennonite, and he has an article. And I'm going to actually transition uh, the screen here briefly so that those of you guys watching this uh, can see what we're talking about, and then I'll switch it back to um, uh, the screen here where you guys can see both Kevin and I. But I'm going to go ahead and just transition the screen here, and uh, you should be able to see there in the middle of your screen um, this little chart put together by this uh, conservative Mennonite. And here what he's doing uh, is he, he did an Excel spreadsheet here where he uh, listed a bunch of the, the different uh, views uh, in, the, in the church within Christianity, baptism, the Trinity, the five solas, faith alone, eschatology, cessationism versus continuationism and things like that, divorce and remarriage and so forth, soteriology. He um, he listed them, and then he listed Protestant, Catholic, and then conservative Anabaptist, and he correlated the... the okay, well, uh, sorry for that. Uh, we had just a little bit of a break there, so we're just going to continue on. What we were looking at um, is we were looking at a, an article on the Mennonite Minute uh, website 
and we were looking at this chart where this particular conservative Mennonite uh, compared Protestant, Catholic, and, and conservative Anabaptist view on multiple different doctrines. And one of the things that I was really shocked by was, uh, you know, just in growing up um, as a, uh, and I'm going to transition the screen back here so you guys can see Kevin, but when I grew up as a uh, conservative Mennonite, I was often told, and the way that I was taught was that the Mennonites, the Anabaptists, you know, the Protestant reformers broke away from Roman Catholicism and they went so far. And then, and obviously they're better than the Roman Catholics, but they went so far. And then the Anabaptists came along and they took the church back to more of a biblical um, first century church. And that's what I was taught. But as I actually started studying history and studying doctrine and and actually got into it, I began to realize and understand that that's actually not true at all. In fact, the Protestant reformers were the ones who were furthest away from Roman Catholicism and Anabaptism is actually much closer to Roman Catholicism uh, than Protestantism is. And what I was really surprised by in this particular article was that this particular conservative Anabaptist actually said the exact same thing. He said that they were much closer to Roman Catholicism than they are Protestant Christianity. And so I don't know if you guys can see this on the screen, but I, there's a couple that I just want to really hit on here, is that especially when it comes uh, to the gospel itself, the one that really struck me was justification by faith alone. The you know, the, of the five solas is, uh, you know, it's Romans 3.28, for we hold that we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. Uh, I don't know how much clearer you can get on faith alone. And the, the this conservative Anabaptist in this article actually is saying that Protestants believe in faith alone, but Catholics and conservative Anabaptists agree that that is not true. What are your thoughts on that, Kevin? Well, I mean, I I seen this daily, in 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 life, you know, growing up Amish, and uh, yeah, that I mean, as as far as as you know, the Anabaptist theology on on salvation, I mean, it's identical to that of the Roman Catholics. I mean, there's no, I mean, as we said earlier, I mean, there there was no, they were there, there was no theology differences between the Anabaptists and the Catholic. It was merely practice. There's a different set of practice, but that's the only difference. I mean, yes. Yeah. And exactly. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with that completely, is that it was just a, a different set of practices were exchanged for another set of practices. Yeah, I mean, and as we said earlier, you know, there was, there was, there was in no sense where the Anabaptists were part of the Protestant Reformation. I mean, it was a separate movement of its own. and Which and, went back to more of a Roman Catholic view, especially on critical issues like soteriology, uh, salvation. But, well, there, in, if you look at history, you'll see there was severe hatred between the Catholics and the Anabaptists, but it was, it was from losing. I mean, they were, they were, you know, 
disagreeing over practices, but the theology of salvation was identical. I mean, it's yeah. free will salvation, works based, and uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I just I find it really interesting that this. I'm going to actually go ahead uh, on when I post this podcast for those of you guys listening out there. If you guys want to actually see this particular article put on by this. Uh, um, this Mennonite, I might actually PDF this because he might end up taking it down, but um, is uh, I'm going to go ahead and link it so you guys can actually see this uh, where he actually says that items of overlap between the conservative Anabaptists and Catholicism is 57%. And with Protestants, it's only 19% overlap. So I, I find that uh, really, really relieving. And the ones that uh, are revealing, not relieving, but I don't know. Kind of interesting, um, but uh, the uh, the one that um, uh, really quite um, the ones that really hit me the most was the five solas, the faith alone, and soteriology were the ones that and, and synergism versus monergism. They also listed that, and the he, the person who put this together actually put Arminian ism into conservative Anabaptist not like maybe Kevin to take a moment to touch on this but um, from my you know history with conservative Anabaptists and stuff is they are they are very strongly Arminian in fact uh, one of the big issues that I, I have with is their their embracing of all five points of Arminianism especially even when it comes to their uh, lack of belief in the security of the believer. Uh, that that a person who is actually saved and has been regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit is persevered. You know, uh, uh, Philippians one six. You know, he that began the good work in you will will uh, complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, and that he will without fail uh, uh, complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And the conservative Anabaptists. And the Catholic and the five-point Arminian all disagree with that point. What are your thoughts on that, Kevin? Well, as you know, I always joke with you about that the Anabaptists were the Arminians before Arminianism was cool. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> no, uh, I mean, <laughs> growing up, I mean, I uh, I just talked to my dad uh, about a year and a half ago. One couple of different things and then we you know we talked about eternal security of the believer and and no i mean they they're very strong they 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 would see that as being prideful to uh yeah to think and, that and you are saved it, yes to yeah. to to i mean that because i mean and it all goes back to it it there's they believe in a salvation that is based on their their works i mean their product productivity i mean if if they don't maintain you know the the level that the church asks for let's actually even examine that for just a moment what you just said there that they would say that that is prideful let's actually examine that from a rational point of view um is that to believe that you have been saved and justified by the finished work of christ versus you're saved because of your works and and the first one is prideful and to believe you've been saved by your own efforts and works is not 
prideful. I'm kind of confused by that. Well, they <laughs> wouldn't use the term of their works. They were they were just saying yeah. that we have to persevere in our faith. Yeah, that but actually. Uh, uh, go ahead, finish on that. Uh, the question of it being prideful to even to s- seek assurance. I mean, Peter commands it, and I think it is it First or Second Peter three, where it says to to make our election sure. Yeah, absolutely. Make your calling and election sure. And yeah. so, I mean, it's it's a command of the. F- One of the things that um, I did in doing some research on this is I is I looked up the Schleitheim Confession, and. Um, Oh no! Actually, you know what? Um, I got that wrong. I was I was actually looking at the Mennonite General Conference of 1963 Statement of Faith, Confession of Faith, and I wanted to actually read this. Um, and I don't know. Have I read this to you, Kevin? Have I read this particular where the article contradicts itself from the beginning to the end? Have I have I pointed this out to you? Yeah, you didn't read the whole article to me, but yeah, you read parts of parts it. of it to yeah. you. Okay. So he's he's familiar with this, but this really kind of goes in line with what we were what we're talking about right now, and that is that they try to, um, due to the overwhelming biblical evidence of salvation by God's grace and justification by faith, is that what they do then is that they uh, give lip service to uh, salvation by faith, but then they describe faith in a very interesting way. Uh, and uh, let me just actually just read this here and then get Kevin's thoughts on this. But in Article 6 of the 1963 Mennonite General Conference, and this is a confession of faith that most conservative Mennonite churches would actually still hold to today. Um, in fact, is probably in most of their confessions, this is the one that they're probably using. But in Article 6, entitled Salvation by Grace Through Faith, uh, which once again is lip service to, to the biblical doctrine here, it says here, we believe that men are saved. Not by character, law, good works, or ceremonies, but by the grace of God. Now, I do. Do you agree with that statement, Kevin? Well, yes, absolutely, and so do I. That's they biblical, get, right? They got it completely right so far. <laughs> they got but it right so far. Yeah. The problem is, I'm afraid they won't stop. <laughs> well, let's actually uh, just ask a few questions here. Let's just look at this. So, those of you out there listening, and I'll even ask this question to Kevin, but. Uh, Kevin, would you say that um, if we uh, have an attitude of love, if we love all men, is that um, is that uh, a good work and is that a good character? Yes. Okay. Um, let's see here. It says here, um, obedience to God's word. Is that a good work? Yes. Okay. Um, faithful disciple. Is that a good work? Yes. Okay. Um, a confident trust in Christ. Yes. Okay. Uh, full surrender of your will to God. Is that a good work? Yes. We never complete that one, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, giving yourself to Christ. Is that a good work? Yes. Okay. So they contradict themselves. They say that we're not saved by character, by law, good works, or ceremonies, but by the grace of God. But then they say this. So let me just actually read on here. So the merits of the death and resurrection of Christ are adequate for the salvation of all men, are offered to all, and intended for all. So once again, God doesn't accomplish all his purposes, but that's a different discussion for a different time. Salvation is appropriated by faith in Christ. 
So here they're, once again, I would not disagree with this. Salvation, um, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, um, it demonstrates our justification before God. God gives us the gift of faith, and in giving us the gift of faith, he justifies us. Um, but then it says, from all eternity, God knew who would be believers in Christ. This is classical Arminianism. And these persons foreknown as believers are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Those who repent and believe in Christ as Savior and Lord receive the gift of righteousness, are born again, and are adopted into the family of God. But now they say this. So they just said that those who um, have faith in Christ are saved. But then they say this. Saving faith involves the giving of the self to Christ, a full surrender of the will, a confident trust in him, a joyful obedience to his word as a faithful disciple, and an attitude of love to all men. So if you do all these things, then you will be saved by grace and not by character, law, good works, or ceremonies. See any problem with that, Kevin? Well, they just completely contradicted themselves. <laughs> yeah. If you go back just a yeah. little bit, before you started reading all that, can you reread the part about uh, being born again? Uh, let's see here. Uh, because they they did the classical uh, Armenian thought of after faith yes. comes rebirth. Regeneration after. Yeah, okay, here we go. Those who repent and believe in Christ as Savior and receive the gift of righteousness are born again. And in fact, First uh, John 5, 1 actually says the exact opposite. It says have been born of God. If they do these things, they have been a past perfect action. Um, and... So yeah, Kevin, you're exactly right on that. Um, it, it's just it's it's interesting here. Kevin actually has another um, document that he wanted to touch on. Uh, any more thoughts on that? By the way, just know. we're going to touch. Say on, it's classical Arminianism. <laughs> it's, yeah, it is. It's just classical five point Arminianism. Um, let's actually go to um, this document that Kevin sent me and this is Kevin can you can you fill me on what this is here well you, I can't pull it up yet oh he's he's <laughs> trying to pull that up right now so um, this is uh, from what I can tell uh, this is from Mennonite mission um, and this is an article they have uh, in PDF format I'm gonna go ahead and transition the screen so you guys can see it here and uh, I, there was a particular point I think you wanted to talk about the flat Bible versus a Christ-centered Bible first. Is that the one you Wait. want to talk about? Uh, yes, I was. I was just going to say that. I mean, this goes along with with the uh, the other document you had up. Is and uh, you see that like number two, they they uh, they they are differentiating between you know, what the Protestants, which they've put down as many Christians. And the Anabaptist Christians emphasize, and and it starts with on number two. It says a flat Bible. Many Christians tend to see the Scriptures rather than Jesus as their final authority. Guidance from daily li guidance for daily living comes from various Scriptures that seem to fit the situation. All decisions do not need to coincide with the teachings and spirit of Jesus. Uh. There are so many problems in there, but I'll let you go ahead and just <laughs> read well, the, uh, the yeah. And they and they contrast with that with the uh, um, with, with what they say the Anabaptists believe. Yes, 
And Deberleaf is a Christ-centered Bible. Anabaptists affirm that while all Scripture is inspired, Jesus is the fullest revelation of God and the final authority for decision-making. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament and is the norm for both personal and social ethics. So, so the question I would have for my Anabaptist friends on this is, first of all, you're saying that you have a Christ-centered Bible. My question is, is how do you know the Christ of the Bible? Can you know him, uh, about him, uh, his character, what he did, what he accomplished, the work that he did? Can you know this outside of Scripture? Well, no. I mean, they have, they have, what they're really saying is they have, they've shrunk the Bible down to the four Gospels. To the and, red letters. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes, even, even the red letters yeah. Over the the entire Bible. I mean that that's the whole point. And I mean I think I mean it goes to show it's still, you know, in a Baptist this thought has crept all the way down through to the modern. I mean, that's still I mean, where they get the you know, the non resistance and Well, and the the one thing I would say is there's nothing new under the sun, um, is uh, those of you out there that are familiar with Marcionism, uh, Marcion was an early heretic uh, in the early church who, who did practically the same thing. Uh, he denied the Old Testament as being uh, uh, can be used for doctrine, for reproof, for correction mm -hmm. of righteousness. You guys might notice I'm quoting Second Timothy three sixteen, but uh, they denied that. And in fact, uh, many Anabaptists, and even some discussions I've had with some Anabaptists, is I had to actually quote that to them. Because they would dismiss any reference to Old Testament scriptures as in, uh, well, that, that doesn't apply to us today at all. So, yeah. so my question to them was, so are you saying that, that, uh, that the Old Testament is not profitable for reproof or correction in righteousness and profitable for doctrine? And they can't really get around it, but uh, that is fundamentally what they believe. Uh, and they shrink it down to, and I would even say, I would even go as far as to say this, Kevin, is that while they... they, they they try to this uh, supposed and I would say Christ centered Bible. I would argue that that's even proper because their theology is not Christ centered at all. They don't trust in the finished work of Christ. Um, but put that aside for a moment. But let's even just deal with the red letters of Jesus. Let's just deal with those themselves. Um, you can't rip those out of their historical context. You can't rip them out of their Jewish context. And when Jesus was saying things, you have to place them within their context. And the one question I would have for those of you Anabaptists that uh, believe in Arminian, a uh, strong Arminian theology, and, and if you really love the red letters in the Bible, the words of Jesus, read John 6. What do you think of John well, 6? Yeah. Well, the biggest problem with, with the whole thing is it completely denies the inerrancy of Scripture. I mean, and the sufficiency yeah. of Scripture. I mean, sufficiency especially. Yeah, that it's actually sufficient. Yeah, for uh, for but, the the life and and for for salvation. That uh, that the the Word of God is enough. Yeah, I mean, what what are the rest of the books of the even the New Testament? I mean, if 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 it's Christ's life that is the is the main focus of of our of our practice and what it means to be a Christian. Well, 
what what are the rest of the letters for yeah yeah exactly um and I, what i've uh, even even uh, historically as being um actually even being baptized in the mennonite church at the age of 13 um a systematic teaching of the word of god and exegesis of the scripture within sermons and things like that is is typically not seen within the conservative mennonite groups uh typically it is a topical uh, type of approach to the scriptures where they will focus on particular passages that they like, which have their, their pet doctrines in it. Um, but to systematize the scriptures and to come up with a systematic theology, uh, which is the why you can't find one Anabaptist systematic theology anywhere on the planet. Um, they have no interest in that. It's Yeah. I mean, and... And that goes back to they're not interested in doctrine at all. I yeah. mean, it's as long as you live right, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's basically what they're saying. I mean, yeah. As long, I mean, they they wouldn't they wouldn't come out and right out yeah, say that, but yes, uh, that is but, the fundamental axiom. Yeah, I mean, as, lo- yeah. as long as you know, profess Jesus Christ, and and your life is right, that's all that matters. So. Yeah. Um. I had a thought on that, and it escapes me right now. There was another uh, section in here that you wanted to, I believe, touch on, right? Yeah, it was uh, the justification by faith. Uh, okay, that's. Uh, let me actually switch mm-hmm. the screen again so they can see this. So you guys can see up on the screen here um, we have um, where they say many Christians emphasize justification by faith, and the Anabaptists emphasizes transformation of life. Kevin, if you want to go ahead and read that. Yeah, with the many Christians emphasize. Many Christians primarily emphasize the holiness of God and the need to be justified through faith in the sacrificial work of Christ. Conversion means being forgiven for sin and destined for heaven. The Anabaptist Christians emphasize transformation of life. Anabaptist Christians tend to emphasize the loving slash nurturing nature of God, the desire to be transformed by the Spirit to become Christ-like in attitude and action. Conversion means being reconciled to God and empowered to live like Jesus in daily life. You have some thoughts on that initially? (laughs) Lots. (laughs) Where do we start? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you see here it's, it's, it's it's a denial of justification by faith and and once again it you see the Amish and the conservative Mennonites there's only one word to describe it I mean it's pharisaical it's legalism yeah I mean yeah. that and and this is what leads to that and one of the arguments that I've commonly heard from um, from uh, Mennonites uh, that that I'm familiar with is that um, um, is that well, you can't actually believe that you're saved. You can't actually believe that you are secure in Christ because that'll lead to antinomianism. That'll yeah, lead that to, uh, to you know, just living your life however you want to. What is the, what's, the, what's that a fundamental denial of? The sufficient work of Christ. The sufficient work of Christ and also the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. Because we as Protestant believers, we don't believe that once we're justified by faith that we can we can uh, live like the devil. I mean, we we believe that God has regenerated our hearts and given us new desires. 
uh, so that we will be obedient. We will walk uh, in his ways. But that is not the grounding. Our sanctification is not the grounding of our justification. It's the result of our justification. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when they say that you have to fear the losing of your salvation in order to keep you on the straight and narrow and keep you walking the right way, which is really what they're saying, um, then that's once again denying the work of God in our lives and denying that God actually regenerates and changes hearts. Well, yes, I mean, it, it's it's a complete denial of, of the sufficiency of Christ's work. And it's, yeah. it, like I said, it, it's a works-based salvation because that there's there's absolutely no focus on on the finished work of Christ it it all comes down to to the performance of man you know does he uh does he live live up to the to the standards of the church and if we yeah. go in and look those standards vary from one church to the other yeah drastically so. yeah um and one of the things I find very interesting is as you were talking there, I was really thinking about their previous comment about that they have a Christ-centered Bible. When you just were saying there that they're denying Christ's work. They're denying the sufficiency of the work of Christ. They've, How's that Christ-centered? They've missed the the whole point of the red letters, haven't yeah. they? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. One of the other things that, and I actually remembered what I was going to say earlier, but one of the things I've been told by uh, conservative Anabaptists is that when, when I talk to them about doctrine and theology, they'll just say, oh, that's just all that theology stuff. You know, uh, you know, there's we don't need that stuff. Uh, that's just and how would you address that, Kevin? I mean, if, if you got a conservative Mennonite telling you that uh, that's just that theology stuff, that's not that's not necessary. What's your thoughts on that? Well, the, that's always a, a difficult one because, I mean, we need to do it in humility. But yeah. We 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 do need to to try to explain to him. I mean, Christ says a, f- a few different times. You know, it's out of the mouth the heart speaks. And so, uh, I mean, if you look at the Pharisees, I mean, they were they were they were as righteous as man can be. Yeah. And and Christ called and. And so, I mean, it. And Paul in in Romans ten, you know, talks about you know, they had a zeal without knowledge, and uh, I actually had that. Now that you brought that verse up, I was going to actually mention that verse. One of the, uh, and Kevin just mentioned it, um, is one of the, um, the verses that really, when I read it, um, this was a while ago, it really just hit me is that this is really what we're seeing. And this is Paul in Romans 10 actually speaking of the Jews. Yes. Uh, the And and he says in Romans 10, 1, says, Brother, my, my hearts and desire and prayer for God is for them that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, and God's righteousness and his justice, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For uh, Christ is the end of the law for the righteous to everyone who believes. And that really, that verse just really sums up, I think, um, what what we're dealing with often with. And and uh, as as you mentioned, we need to, with humility, bring them the true gospel. And pray for the working of God in their life. 
well, as I said earlier, you know, speaking with my my dad, it's it's really difficult to because they have they they have the Bible, they read it, but you you see the blindness there. I mean, there there's no recognition of 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 grace. There's no recognition of even sin and our what, depravity. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. I mean, they they basically deny that. And, and and you you see them, I mean, over the smallest things. I mean that the smallest thing they they turn into the biggest deal, and they go that it, it's just like the Pharisees. I mean that they, they have you know they wash a gnat and swallow a camel. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yes, that for sure. Yeah, and and it it is difficult to to uh, I don't know explain to him to try to get i mean as i said you know they have they have they've read the bible that they're so so sad they 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 honestly believe they're saved yeah yeah and uh so it makes it really difficult but to, it does. to, to bring him the gospel that's that's what we need to yeah absolutely i think you had a little bit of a meme or something that you wanted to read did you have did you want oh, to read no. that <laughs> I wanted you to put it online so we could see oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think I have that available, but we can. Uh, I can have it ready for the next podcast. So I think that's uh, all we're going to have for today. So I want to thank uh, Kevin for coming uh, on the air so we could have this discussion. We're probably going to do this at least several more times. I think there's a lot of material and a lot of things we need to cover. Yeah, and we'll so get, this – go ahead. Get, get ready and uh, – kind of go through and look at some of the leaders and and get some of their actual their beliefs and what what they uh what they taught and then uh followed on down through to the present day and yeah and uh look at their their foundations and those people that um you know that a lot of the uh conservative anabaptists today look up to and who they look as their leaders from the past and uh, so we'll get into that. And um, so I want to thank you guys for joining us today. We're going to uh, um, we're going to take off here. So uh, uh, hope that this was of some benefit to you. And um, God willing, uh, Dale Valente, <laughs> we will be back with you maybe next week. Uh, actually, no, uh, no, that is we will not be here next week. Uh, uh, taking my wife on a short little vacation, so uh, we'll not be here next week, but hopefully the next week, uh, Lord willing, we will be back with you, and we will continue uh, this particular discussion. So uh, thanks for joining us today, and God bless. Don't you know that the unjust Will not inherit God's kingdom